Hello and welcome to this week's instalment of Nicholas Investment Insights. Well, the news is in with Treasurer Josh Frydenberg confirming yesterday what most of us have already suspected, which is under, after an incredible almost 29-year run, the Australian economy is now facing recession. The broad fall in domestic demand for everything except toilet paper and dry pasta was not a huge surprise, although there appears to be some residual life left in the new build property side of the economy. The question remains, will it continue? And what is now in store for the future of Australian property? To help answer this question, we have special guest and friend of the show, Martin North, who is founder of boutique research firm, Digital Finance Analytics. Digital Finance Analytics combines primary consumer research, industry modeling, economic analysis, and segmentation analytics to provide insight into the dynamics of the Australian property market and produces the popular Walk the World series available on YouTube. Martin North, welcome back to Nucleus Investment Insights. G'day, thank you for having me back. And boy, things have changed in the last two or three months, haven't they? They have certainly indeed. We'll look forward to, uh, to running through all of that. And I'm also joined on the other side of the table for a change and, and not in a different suburb by our Head of Investments, Damien Klassen. G'day, Damien. Thanks, Tim. At least one and a half metres apart, though. That's yes. right. Yes. Federally mandated distance, just to keep Mr. Andrews happy. Um, and just a quick reminder that before we get started, to subscribe on YouTube and click on the notification bell to be notified of when we go live or have a new webinar to watch. Follow us on your preferred podcast platform. And of course, for those listening in live today, feel free to drop in your questions in the chat box at nucleuswealth.com forward slash webinar to have them answered along the way. And we'll have obviously uh, plenty of time at the end to, to run through any final questions as well. So we look forward to those. Uh, the agenda for today. So we're going to be running through a DFA's uh, methodology, what mortgage stress and financial confidence indicators are showing. Uh, we'll then look at what this means for the Australian property and wider economy. We'll then run through those viewer questions as well. If we, uh, if we don't have a few pertinent ones along the way, we'll, we'll tie those in. And then, of course, uh, wrap everything up as we, as we do with every show into the investment outlook and how we use these themes or incorporate them in the portfolios here every day at Nucleus Wealth. So with no further ado, I'd like to uh, kick off. So we've got uh, the first slide for today is uh, just a quick, uh, I guess, zoom out of the digital finance analytics core market model. So perhaps, Martin, if I could hand over to you, uh, to provide some uh, basis for today's analysis. Actually, I might just pop in as well, just a quick, quick reminder for people. That, so the slides are available um, or will be available afterwards. The, Martin's given us a great uh, batch of, of quite very detailed into, into a whole bunch of different uh, different uh, sectors and, and regions and all that type of stuff. So we probably won't go into every single one in detail, but um, they will be available for, for people to download after the, after the show or, or if you're watching live. Absolutely. Fantastic. Over to you, Martin. Great, thank you. So just the first slide there, we survey households continually and also the SME sector. We plug that information into our core market model alongside with other industry modeling. And uh, that pulls information from the ABS, RBA, all sorts of uh, areas. And that essentially then allows us to do analysis. And that analysis feeds our blog, feeds the uh, Walk the World channel on YouTube, and also does uh, a lot of work with a number of our clients. That's roughly what we do. And the point is, this is very up-to-date information. So the data we're talking about today came in on Tuesday. So this is right up to date. And it's important in the current environment because things are moving so quickly. Yeah, and so and to put it in context, you know, so these are surveys and, and asking people questions and, and, and factors like that, isn't it? Whereas we just saw the, the GDP, for example, for Australia came out yesterday for, uh, the end of, um, for the end of March. So it's between two and five months out of date, depending upon how you want to measure it. Whereas this is, as you said, from last Tuesday. The coalface. Yeah, this is real time, pretty much. I mean, I have 52,000 in the in the database. Don't do 52,000 every week, but we have 1,000 new ones coming in each week. So, And we update the model in a way that the more recent records influences the way the whole model works. So, yeah, this is a very current view, and it's um, unfortunately not a very, you know, New, new, positive view in, in some ways but if you go to the next slide just quickly you can slice and dice the data as i do all the time between property status and geographic locations and even our segmentation segmentation is important because i one of the measures i want to leave today is averaging tells you nothing at all and there's a lot of information out there which is averaged you know house price movements income whatever averages tell you nothing you need to go granular to really understand what's going on and so we spend a lot of time trying to go really granular 
And I'll touch on that a little bit today, although, as you say, there's too many too many slides here to go through everything in detail. Mm. Uh, but nevertheless, the point is, this is very rich data. And yeah. uh, I'm just touching on the surface. And, and from an economic point of view, that's certainly why, why we want Martin on here is because um, for exactly what he's saying there is that if we can look at, a, say, income hasn't changed over a period for, the, for on average, but if if a bunch of people have got a lot richer and then everyone else has lost their job, then um, you know that's there's obviously a, a much bigger impact from that than if everyone's income just stayed the same over that period. And so yeah, very much into that. Um, it doesn't take many people going uh, going broke and having to sell their houses to actually really start making a difference to to that side of the market and and also to the rest of the economy. Well. Uh, mar marginality is really important here, right? So you need two or three or four percent to move, and then that creates, if you like, a downdraft that then has a much broader implication. So, so whilst you might have thirty or forty percent of people fine with their mortgages, what about the rest? So that's the critical question. Absolutely. All right. Um, so we jump across to the uh, mortgage and rental stress uh, yep. run through, just to to explain that to our audience. Yeah, it's very important because there's this sort of people often use thirty percent of income as in if you're spending more than that, they're in stress, that doesn't really work. I use a cash flow basis. So I've basically created mini household balance sheets and cash flow for all of us uh, people we survey. Money in, gross income, salary, pensions, interest, and all those, and then money out, tax, mortgage repayments, rents, and those other things, school fees, you know, whatever people are spending on. And basically my model says that if people are actually um, spending more than they are actually receiving, then they're in a stress. And if they've got a mortgage, they're in mortgage stress. If they've got a rent that they're paying as their primary residence, then they're in rental stress. If you are deeply negative, in other words, more than 10% below, then you're in severe stress. So that's the language that we use. This is about cash flow. Now, of course, they may have assets. They may have investments. They may have um, stocks and shares that they could sell. But nevertheless, on a cash flow basis, um, this is a very important indicator. So that's how we do it. Yeah, and, and just, uh, just for anyone um, who's just listening into the podcast, so so what the key thing this chart's showing for, for me anyway, and, and I'd be interested to get your oh sorry this on this next slide. Sorry, I've, I've, jumped, I've jumped one stream one stream ahead of you. Sorry, Martin. Let's <laughs> okay, I'll just, yeah, let's, just make let me point. leave it to you. Actually, sorry, I was just going to describe the chart. For... <laughs> I, I, I'll tell you when to move to the next slide. Yeah, so yeah, it should yeah. be on sorry. mortgage and stress, mortgage and rental stress. Last point on this slide is understand that this is an early indicator of problems ahead, right? So typically, if people get into financial difficulty and mortgage stress or rental stress, down the track, they, they are forced, if they've got a property, to sell it or may default or do something quite quite uh, dramatic to get out. But it takes two or three years. And a case study that is Mandra over in Western Australia, which is one I was watching three or four years ago, I watched mortgage stress start to rise. And then in the following 18 months to two years to three years, I've watched prices drop by around 20%. I've watched default rates rise. I've watched the social consequences of all that flow through. So it's important to understand that this actually does point to issues ahead potentially for us. And, uh, you know, I fear that uh, what we saw over in the West, we're beginning to see down the East Coast. If we go to the next slide, this is my summary slide. So <clears throat> this is the yellow line is the critical one, right? So this is the proportion of households in mortgage stress. And it, in February, it's 32.9%. And in May, it's now 37.5%. So it's actually jumped up. In fact, last month, it was slightly higher at 38, just over 38. Wow. But that still, that still means 1.4 million households are impacted. Right? Yeah. And the modelling takes account of JobKeeper, uh, the returning workers who you know getting, getting back to work now, um, payment postponements from the banks, refinancing to lower interest rates, switching to interest rate, all of that's in the model. And this is what we've got. So we've got... Um, 37.5%. And unfortunately, my modelling is suggesting that even with what we're seeing now, it's going to go higher. By August, it'll be over 40%. And that's a really bad number. It's never been that high. You can see the long-term trend. Mm. And in fact, you can see that before the global financial crisis, stress was rising. It eased as rates were cut. Uh, then it started to come up again. And then we had a bit of acceleration over the last couple of years. And that was driven very firmly by um, bigger mortgages, flat incomes, rising costs. And then we've got this massive acceleration from February onwards because of COVID. But and, uh, what, I, what, I was, what I was trying to, where I, where I prematurely jumped in, but it was, <laughs> I wanted to say as well as um, uh, for anyone listening in, you know, the, the mortgage stress on, on, on Martin's charts, uh, you know, peaked at sort of 20% uh, around the financial crisis but sort of, before sort of uh, fading back down and then gradually rising again. 2017 uh, rose quite quickly back up to 30%. And then this is sort of we've gone one leg higher. So, so when we when when he's talking about you know almost forty percent, um, that's sort of 
you know, close to double double, double what we were at yeah. the, the peak of the financial crisis, yeah. and and you know probably tri- not quite triple, but you know close to triple what it what it what it reached, um, yeah, from two thousand eleven two thousand twelve type type ranges. Mm. Yeah, and so, of course, despite interest rates really really low now compared with where they were, right? And uh, the household debt to income ratio is. 186.8 according to the RBA, that's very high. Never been, you know, it's been that level quite quite a little while. But we've got massive amounts of debt. So big debt, big mortgages. Um, now we've got a problem. And the problem is essentially one of um, incomes and employment. And in fact, the conversation today, when we end this conversation, I think will have to be about what's going to happen to income, what's going to happen to employment. Because if unemployment stays high, then this is going to play out just like this model is suggesting. Mm. One of the things, so, so you've got a few things on that. Uh, the what has changed list there. Um, the the impact of people uh, selling down with the ten thousand dollars for their superannuation. Mm. Do you capture much of that? And and because yep. I guess we're seeing a lot, certainly seeing a lot in the in the papers at the moment about um, people spending it all on gambling and and uh, and the, and the drugs of their choice. Um, mm. You know, what's, so there's, what's there's a couple of things to say there. The first is that uh, we actually ask. Impact, are you impacted by COVID in terms of your income, right? And we also ask whether they've actually accessed super. But half of the people who are accessing super haven't been impacted by COVID, first point. Right. Uh, mm. Quite a few people are using this as an opportunity to assemble a deposit to buy a house. Yep. So 10,000 10, now, 10,000 in July, hoping that the government will then come up with another $50,000 grant. Um, bingo, you can buy a house for nothing. Right. Well, <laughs> well, not for nothing, but but you've got that you, without saving. We've got something you didn't without do before. Saving. Yeah, that's right. Correct. So basically, the government. So that's that's the first point. Second point: there's a lot of um, uh, stuff that I would call distressed spending going on from that um, money that's being pulled out of super. And uh, there was an alpha beta survey that I think came out uh, earlier in the week that confirmed what we saw that this, you know this isn't just on you know household expenditure people are spending this on other things too so yeah there's, there's very poor targeting here and uh, my my concern is that people are actually just taking the advantage of grabbing the cash well i guess i guess where i'm trying to ask where i was leading to this is is it the right people and that's what i guess that's where it's coming back to saying is that if if somebody who hasn't lost a job so you're saying of the people who've taken it half of them haven't really been affected so they're really using it as a, as a chance to take some of the money out of their superannuation and and as you said Potentially use something, invest in something else with it, but or, or go out and and you know buy the new iPhone that they really wanted or, or whatever whatever it is. But of the half that is, I guess that's where I'm trying to I'm trying to I'm trying to work out the. Uh, it seems to me that the amounts and and the speed of that you can get that is actually because it's a lot faster than 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 some of these job keeper payments and some of the government mm. payments is. Um, it appears it might have it might have actually been one of the key things helping. The Australian economy over the last little while. Yeah. So the number was 38 plus last month. That was before the um, extraction of the uh, superannuation. It definitely has helped at the margin, mm. but I would suggest that it is literally at the margin. Right. Okay. Mm. All right. Very um, good. And JobKeeper. So thoughts on what are your? Yeah. Thoughts? So what I don't. Th- I was running my model and I couldn't work out why the JobKeeper numbers were much lower than what the government was saying when they were saying 6 million, right? And then they came out and said, oh, it's nearer 3 million. I think it's probably under 3 million, by the way, um, who are actually getting the real flows into their accounts. Because, of course, there's a bit of a long-winded uh, connection, isn't there, between the, the firm, whether they pay JobKeeper, whether mm. they receive it. But so so in, in some yes. cases, I don't think that's working very well. The other mm. point, of course, is that quite a few households had much bigger incomes than the JobKeeper equivalent. So whilst it does give some leeway for some, um, there are many that actually are not getting the, the benefit that they would need to be in the same state that they were previously. Mm. But we also are seeing some households who have got a big income rise because they were previously earning a lot less. So mm. it's scattergun. And uh, yeah, so that last category, how how big do you think that category actually is? What's uh... Well, I reckon that about um, 3 to 4% of households are now receiving more incomes than they did previously, but they aren't necessarily people with mortgages. Yeah, so that and, and so some of those were were the some of those were people who were firm, formerly on the dole, though. Yeah. Or is that correct? So, I guess what I'm thinking is that I'm guessing that would have been well, that I'm guessing that would have been three to four percent to start with, though, wouldn't it? People get the, the dole. Oh, sorry, the of, of total the, households. The move. The move. Right. Yeah. 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 So about, yeah. And so unemployment, anyways, is five percent of sixty percent. 
yeah, 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 yeah. So I'm, okay. I'm, I'm, I'm looking at those who basically um, have a bigger increase in their incomes than yep. where they were before this all happened. Yes, yeah, okay. And obviously, I, I, I'm, I doubt the banks anyway are going to be saying, yes, I can, I can definitely afford to buy this house, Mr. Bank. Look at my JobKeeper payments. Well, not going to be- I can tell you that some <laughs> brokers are yeah. encouraging people on JobKeeper to apply for mortgages, saying the bank will actually take that into account and will look positively towards it. Really? Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, okay. Well, yes, that's a, a scary thought. <laughs> let, 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 let's let's move on to the yeah. data, right? So, yeah. okay. So the first one is by states. So um, this chart's a bit busy, but there's four things to notice. Basically, you've got the total number in stress. We've also got the total number risking default, based on the modelling now, and we also have the lines, which is the average percentage of default and the average percentage in stress of a household, right? And you can see Tasmania is up there, the highest proportion of households in stress in the countries in Tasmania, and that's a combination of income being very squeezed, tourism, of course, being a big portion of the overall um, business, and the fact that uh, incomes are very low relatively in Tasmania. So that's why they're there. But the biggest numbers, of course, are in Victoria, New South Wales. In fact, um, the pr pr proportion comes down. In fact, you'll see that ACT is best placed. And that, that's, so that's the way it works. The other point to make is on risk of default, highest risk of default, Western Australia. It's nearly double where it is elsewhere. It's around 5%. So um, that's an important number because we're going to see defaults rising, I think, ahead. And therefore, this is quite a big deal. Hmm. It's interesting. So the, the, you know, the three biggest states, you've got uh, you know, furthest to the right on that graph in terms of the percentage in, 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 uh, in, in stress, the average percentage yeah. in stress. So, you know, because I guess it's interesting that I guess my preconception going in is that um, that if, you know, if everyone lost, people who lost their jobs around the country um, and are all getting, a, you know, $1,500 fortnightly payment or, or whatever it is, you know, or reduced it, is that that's going to be, if, if the job losses were equal around the country, then people in, in cities with higher mortgages would be would you think you think would be more mortgage stress because if if I've only got a a two hundred thousand dollar house and I've lost my job then in theory I'll be in less mortgage stress than than somebody with a one point two million dollar house in a in a big city. Uh, but it's the relativity of um, the mortgage and income. Remember that incomes are much lower away from the major centres. Yes, and the but cost I'm... of living may be a little higher. But you've got to look at the think of it like a, the mini balance sheet of the household, right? So it's mm. it's not just the size of the mortgage; it's the overall financial position of that particular household. And uh, I, I notice that in some of the states, there's actually a lower proportion of two people in the family working rather than one, for example. So yeah, that, yeah. Fact. Sorry, I guess what I meant by that though is that it's fifteen hundred dollars fortnight, whether you're in Sydney or if you're in mm. the back of Burke. That's why oh, I yeah, guess yeah, I was yeah, guessing yeah, no, that uh, yeah, the impact yeah. would have actually, yeah, you would have had Victoria. Queensland, New South Wales, further up, but yes, but still, they're obviously making up the the, the vast majority of, of these of these cases as well. Yeah, no, they are they are by far the the, the largest in numbers. And you know, the question is, do you look at percentage? Do you look at numbers? I think the numbers actually tell you more than the percentages, probably. But I just think Tasmania has been there, and interestingly, Tasmania was there before COVID. So this is not just COVID related. This is a fundamental structural issue in the economies across the states. Hmm. Um, Let's go to the next one because this is now where we start looking at them from a segment. Okay, so I look at households across multiple segments. And so we have young growing families, including first-time buyers over there. And we have them, what we call the battling urban, the disadvantaged fringe. So these are the people in the, the bigger states on the edge of town, uh, the multicultural um, establishment group, which perhaps is a little bit further in suburban mainstream. And then we go to rural and then exclusive professionals and et cetera, et cetera. Right. Now, what's interesting is that it's actually young growing families who have the highest proportion in stress. And you can see it's nearly 70%. And a lot of those are first-time buyers. Some of them actually got 95% loans from the government recently and are suddenly mm. finding that they've got a problem. Um, Young-growing families typically extend themselves to try and get into the property market because they hope that their value will go up and their incomes will rise and it will get easier. Unfortunately for many, it hasn't played out like that. Uh, in terms of the largest number, it's actually those in the disadvantaged fringe. So again, there you've got... Uh, these large suburban spreads on the outskirts of town, very little infrastructure, quite often very close together. Um, and, and that's where a lot of the pain is. 
but you can also see it well in suburban mainstream areas too. So, you know, the point to make about this, it's not in one group. It's not in one location. It's not isolated. Yeah. No, no, no. It is actually structural across the economy. Also make the point that exclusive professionals, the, you know, the most affluent groups are there too. And what's interesting is that we've seen some of the most significant increases in the more affluent groups because they are used to a certain level of income and suddenly that income has dropped dramatically. If they're on, uh, you know, JobKeeper, it's a lot lower. Hmm. Um, they, they're not getting the overtime they were. They're not getting the hours they were. All those things are in there. So, so we're seeing actually more complex issues at the top end of the market rather than those who are typically battlers, typically have been used to managing tight cash flows. Hmm. Uh, can you just give us a feel for, so the young growing families are here look like they're close to 70% maybe maybe mm. high 60s um yep. so pre-crisis um yeah. how so, so they were always quite high but they've moved up they were sort of 50-ish 60-ish yeah before yep. it depends when you when you look so we, we've been following the rise of the young growing families for quite some time um but the percentage has definitely increased across the board yep. um as, but as i say the exclusive professionals are the ones that you know 30 percent of exclusive professionals now in some difficulty that's that's remarkable yeah, absolutely. And 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 where's the where do you think the biggest impact of um, the landlords who are, who are missing out on rent or, or you know either getting lower rent or, or not receiving rent um, is I guess is is that because is that you think where the the exclusive professionals is sort of ticking up or is it well it's part of the story because often they will have rental properties as well mm. and of course the income from rental properties is now being squeezed because the rents are coming down or they've got more vacancies or Ex Airbnb now <laughs> lower levels of income coming in from there. So it's because they've got a much more complex financial footprint. They've got assets and they can do things about it. But from a cash flow perspective, this is a new situation for quite a few of these people. Mm. Yes. Now, if we go to the next slide, you can actually then see it a different way. So this is now looking across the region. So I'm coming down from states down to regions, and you can see that obviously Victoria leads the way. Um, so Melbourne. Uh, Greater Melbourne, Greater Sydney, Brisbane, Moreton Bay, Adelaide, they're the, the big pools. But the point I wanted to make was you go further across the page and then you've got you know, Hunter, for example, in New South Wales, or you've got the South Coast, or you've got the ACT. So again, the thing to understand is that this is actually widespread across the country. And if you look at the percentage of households, which is the line, the uh, orangey line, you can again see that it varies, you know, 40% in some cases, higher in others. Um, Again, the thing to understand is that mortgage stress takes no prisoners wherever you are. There are households that essentially have difficulty at the moment. Hmm. All right, very good. Yep, we might jump through to the next one. Postcodes. Yep. So postcodes. So, so this is the latest by postcodes. I've sorted the top ones. Ballarat 3350 leads the way. Then we've got 3037, another one in Victoria. Then we have over WA 6030, and on it goes. Now, and Point Cook, Durhamont, another... Victorian one. So interestingly, a lot of the Victorian households have the biggest counts, and that's partly because you've got um, a lot of developments over the last four or five years in a lot of these postcodes. So look, a lot of quite new stuff being built. And and for I guess uh, for, for for people sort of listening in, I guess the a lot of those suburbs, certainly the top Victorian ones, are, are, the, are the outer uh, the outer suburbs, and and I think the. Yep. Uh, the Sydney ones look to be outer suburbs as well. I'm not sure. Actually, yeah. the first the first one is slightly off the thing. Is it is it Sydney that's in the, the inner city Sydney, or is this a different? Uh, three hundred three seven. That's Victorian. Sydney. Oh, sorry, that's a Victoria Sydney. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Hillside Sydney. Yeah. 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 So, so, so you're right. So a, a lot of places like Packham, for example, and Cranbourne in Victoria, right, um, are these big areas where they've been building massively over the last ten years. A lot of people bought in quite near the top, big mortgages. And suddenly it's all gone pear-shaped. And they're all um, sort of 45 minutes to an hour of public transport into the city type yeah, type, exactly. type sort of distance mm. in terms of a lot of these. Lot so. of now, mm. remember, this is looking at volume. This is the numbers. And that's because there are lots and lots and lots of households in those postcodes. Same is true also, also in um, Western Australia. So if you look at some of the WA ones, they're on the coast. Again, same sort of scenario. So, so high development, large population growth, mm. a lot of people... Uh, now exposed, and that's going to put downward pressure on prices, of course. Just a quick question, actually, just while we're on this topic. Um, got one here from NADA. Um, how do you think the new grants recently announced will affect the outer uh, land estate suburbs in, in Melbourne? Yeah. <laughs> Supporting? Do you reckon is, is providing it oxygen? May, it may support, but only marginally. I think the whole strategy is misplaced. They should be doing um, community housing if they're really going to 
try and do something about to, this to help. I mean, you're going to have to spend a lot of money to get any of the grant, right? First thing. And um, the other point to make there is that the um, number of households who'd be able to afford to do those sorts of renovations who are in stress is almost zero. So this is not going to help stress, I don't think. It's yeah. helping the construction sector. Yep. But I'm not sure it's helping real households. It's more political, I think, than anything else, frankly. Yeah, well, that's. I think that's what that was our comment on the uh, you know the, the loans that went to small and medium businesses was that basically you have to be in enough distress to be able to afford to to, to be able to qualify for these, but not not so much distress that the bank won't touch you. And that what that meant was that the forty billion dollars they promised is probably going to be might be four maybe. Um, <laughs> Because it's just that you got to find that, and, that, and it sounds a little bit like I mean I'm not sure of the exact numbers, but you know it sounds a little bit like this in terms of you know you have to you have to be a certain type of person, not earning that much money, but can afford a massive renovation and and all this other stuff, and 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 and, and have a bank back you on on it. So it sort of seems. Well, you hit the nail on the head. They are, they're going to have to get the rest of the money from the bank, right? Mm. Now the question is, will the bank lend it secured? If you've got a loan to value ratio below, you could draw money out more out. Or are you going to have to get an unsecured loan separately? Um, both of it. If it's debt fueled, mm. what they're doing effectively is supporting the uh, construction sector by more debt. Yes. Uh, for me, given where we are with the debt numbers and how badly we're placed, this is nuts. It's it's a stupid policy, but you know, no surprise. We're going to see more of this. We're going to see more in the natural acts. We're going to see more first-time buyer grants and things, trying to keep the property market up. Because my theory is that the government is paranoid about prices slipping this side of the election. Well, and I, I think, though, as well, you know, from, from my discussions with, um, with with various parties, I mean, there's, there's a couple of things that should have showed up for me is that one is um, – Anything that's slightly difficult is very, very hard for banks now. Like I know a couple of um, people who who run their own businesses. Businesses are quite profitable and steady incomes and all that type of stuff. But because they've been because they're in a uh, because they run their own businesses or they're employees of their own businesses, in terms of redoing home loans, is just a nightmare in terms of months and months and months of of just delay and push out in terms of that. So there's that there's sort of one there's any section of the market that's just a little bit hard is just like no. Nope we're not touching it or, or we're going to, you know, delay everything. Um, and then the other part is that, um, you know, in terms of the, uh, uh, yeah, the development side is that, yeah, it's obviously, you know, banks, as, as much as the government says, yes, we want to get all this stuff going and we want, and we want to get all these developers going, you know, that's the area of the market that, that most people are sort of stepping back from and saying, um, no, no, we're not interested. And and the, and the comments I'm hearing from the uh, from sort of some of these third some of the, some of the lenders is basically that if int- uh, where I think the government's right in t- right in a certain way um, that they're worried about it because uh, they're just flowy worried because if property prices stay where they are or, or just fall a little bit then the banks will keep on rolling over the extending the mortgages and just letting them get away with interest only but if they take a, start taking a tumble then the bank's going to be looking at it and and just saying well. Property prices are falling. I can either sit and hold on to this guy who hasn't got a job, or, or this family that's 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 just only managing just to pay the interest, and run the risk that property prices will fall further, and then I'll, I'll you know then I'm going to lose the entire bit, or I can just take the take the loss now and and, and sell out. I don't know what whether you're hearing a similar thing. I am. So that yeah, the banks are you know tightening up quite a lot. Remember the CBA said there is a scenario where prices could drop more than thirty percent, right? So you'd have thought that would actually regulate their thinking with regard to mortgage underwriting. doesn't necessarily seem to be very much at the moment. But if I was in that scenario, I would be concerned about high loan-to-value ratios. And I'd also be concerned about um, where incomes were coming from. And I know that some industries are particularly now off the radar in terms of being able to get a, get a mortgage. So it's pretty tight. But as you say, if prices start to slide then the first thing that's going to happen is that credit availability will tighten dramatically and the banks will get uh, you know, more and more shy at being able to lend. And yet they want, they need to lend, they want to lend because that's the only game in town for them. So this is a big complex situation. And I come back to this point. This was happening, all this stuff was happening before COVID. This is not COVID created, right? Mm. COVID has actually brought a magnifying glass to it, mm. but it was happening already. Mm. We have this huge debt burden. We've got so many people highly leveraged. We've got so many risks in the system. At some point, the debt machine is going to have to stop. The question is, when is it going to stop? Good point. All right. Yes. We'll better move on to uh, WA's yep. top postcodes, if you like. Yeah, so I thought what, I, what I'd do those. now is just very quickly just 
trip through a few a few and wa sure. you can see there you can see how it's 6030 curtain in clarkson you know that area um and you can see how it works um the point there is that uh, there are some particular areas where there are issues but the best way to look at it is the next slide because there i've geomapped it so you can now see on the geomap where the action is and the the the, the ready sort of or the pinky ready is actually the most difficult. So you can see down Mandra Way, there's a there's a red block there, mm. and you can see that um, some of the blue areas, which are the least stressed, are actually areas. So this is quite a powerful way of making the point: this stress is not uniformly spread. But you can see there the new developments down the coast, north and south of Perth, are where a lot of the problems are. And, and just for people listening in uh, who can't see the slides, it's generally the outer suburbs, but there are some there are some. Uh... It, it, it is very mixed in terms of there's some so there's some very stressed suburbs and then right next to it is there some very unstressed suburbs. Looking at you, yeah. Canning. And so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, I mean, if you, you know, Rockingham, places like that south of Perth, and if you go, you know, jumps up north, um, closer into Perth, it's a little little easier story. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah, so the point, I remember I said go granular. You need to go granular to understand what's going on. Okay. Um, South Australia is a bit the same. So over there, we've got quite a few in close. So um, 5108 is the most stressed postcode, then 5162. And they're both Adelaide City postcodes. Um, And a similar story, if you look at the map, insofar that, again, you've got um, on the geo map there, you can see close in towards Adelaide, there are some um, red postcodes. So there are some postcodes where they've got significant amounts of mortgage stress. You've also got some that are blue. So again, it varies on the type of property. It varies on the type of household. You know, a bunch of different things. Mm. And I was going to say that that Adelaide really does stand out as just being all over the place. It's a real it's a patchwork. patchwork. It yeah, is. It is a patchwork. Yeah. 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 Yeah, Incredible. Yeah, yeah. Is this? Is, do you think this might be? Is there a bit of Airbnb? Sort of going in here. I'm just sort of it's having... one of the factors. So yeah. interestingly, um, about twelve um, percent of uh, property investors. That we surveyed so they're looking to sell their property in the next 12 months wow. that's up from eight percent and that eight to twelve percent half of it was actually to do x airbnb yep yep sorry so that was 12 percent of investors correct it? probably yes. investors okay. yep. yep yeah yeah fair enough but that movement was driven by airbnb airbnb is a you know people haven't understood the impact because they were generating significant revenue to pay mortgages which is no longer there it's vaporized yeah mm. yeah mm. um right. New South Wales, um, so Currens Hill, Harrington Park, um, two five six seven, and then we go to the Central Tablelands two eight double o, and then we go um, to the outer suburbs two seven seven zero, and then up to the Hunter, um, Birmingham Gardens. So again, you know, different areas, um, but the similar story. And if you look at the map, you can see that quite readily. So down well, the well, much much less of a patchwork, it seems. So yeah, much more but, just but the... basically to the west more than to the east so closer into sydney uh, more blue cl- further out towards penrith or blacktown and the hills shire in particular they stand out as being really really in difficulty a lot of nude builds there a lot of um, high rise there and campbelltown places like that down towards wollongong significant issues too but again a patchwork mm. um we go to queensland similar story brisbane and morton um you know 4034 is the one at the top that's more than five and a half thousand uh, in stress then Camp Hill at 4152, and then Augustine at 4300. Um, but if you look at the um, next slide, the map, you can see that Ipswich stands out towards the west of Brisbane. That's a big area where they've got massive issues. You've got issues south of uh, Brisbane, down towards Logan, and down towards the Gold Coast, and then you've got a few up further north too. So again, a patchwork. But um, what typifies a lot of these um, uh, is that these are the outer suburban, the um, you know, distressed um, battling households with a mortgage, with a property, quite often built relatively recently. New, newer builds, yeah, okay. Significant issues. Is, is, have you done much work? Is there anything on, um, and I'm just sort of going back to, and we'll, we'll touch on Victoria in a second, um, mm. the uh, high immigration areas or new Australian areas? Um, is that sort of... Is <laughs> yeah, that so we actually do ask a question about um, uh, migration. There is a lot of migration gone into those outer suburban areas. Uh, and uh, a lot of those are actually people. They, so they would appear in our multicultural establishment uh, or some of the other segments. But yeah, there is a, there is a correlation. Not massive. Hmm. Um, I think the migration story is overcooked in terms of being the cause of the housing pressures that we have. Mm-hmm. Um, the main cause was the investment uh, boom. Um, right. But no, no doubt the 300,000 people that aren't coming into the country now will actually hmm. have 
a significant impact ahead in terms of uh, ultimate demand. But you know, the question to ask yourself is, well, where is demand for future property going to come from? If the um, situation is we've got a lot of people struggling with the properties they've got, you know, they may have to sell and move. Perhaps um, there's not a lot of people who are thinking of um, transacting at the moment from my surveys. So, yeah, interesting. So migration's part of the story. I don't think it's. I don't think it's so much. And look, I know there's now talk about Hong Kong. You know. Bring bring everybody from Hong Kong down here. That'll that'll solve the problem. So, mm. uh, so actually, it's a good question though. On the um, you said not that many. So so you said twelve percent of people, twelve percent of investors were looking to to transact over the next uh, twelve months, which was quite high. Yeah. But yeah. Um, is that contrasted versus there's not actually very many people looking to transact now? Was that what you said? Yeah. So the owner occupier sector only about three percent are looking to transact. Right. So, People who want to buy, there's about 250,000 first-time buyers who are still relatively interested in in buying if they can find something at the right price and get the finance, although that's a, a tricky access to finance. 40% of them are saying yeah, they can't get access to finance now. But apart from that... Uh, versus, we, sorry, um, what was that number before? 40, uh, 40%, 40% uh, now. now. It, uh, it, a year ago, it was uh, roughly the same. Then it went down. So if you look right. uh, December, January, February, March... Um, if, if you had a pulse and if we were a first-time buyer, you'd pretty much get a mortgage. Yeah. That's all changed again now. Mm. Martin, just a quick one, um, and I'll just dash back to uh, New South Wales. But I've got mm. here, why are the headline numbers the absolute count of stressed households rather than, uh, used rather than the percentage? If I read <laughs> the chart for Sydney correctly, the postcode of the ponds being the least in absolute number is actually the highest stressed in in percentage terms. So this is a, the last one on the right-hand side bar. Correct. correct. Yep. Yeah, and, and, you know, I can show, I've, I've got maps to show both ways. I chose to show the numbers because I think the numbers tell you something mm -hmm. about the, the size of the problem. You know, if you've got 20 people in a postcode of 20 stressed, not too much of an issue. If you've got 7,500 people in another postcode and there's 15,000 there, you know, so that's half, you know, half of them off 60%. Yep. That number, going back to the marginal question, the marginal buyer question, you know, you, you only need a small proportion of those to fall over and you've got a big issue. Hmm. So that's why I go and, with the numbers. And, and the other yep. thing is you're, you're sampling from, as you said, about 1,000 people a week. Um, hmm. And so it's a rolling, it's a rolling aggregation. You'll... Um, the ones on the left, you'll be more confident that your figures are right, whereas the the, the lower your sample size, you know, the, the less. Uh, well, that's true. Yeah, and and some some small postcodes drop off the sample because you know by definition you can't sample every postcode every every time. It just doesn't, mm. yes, doesn't work. So yeah, that's right. So I, I focus on the big ones, but I think it's it is the art of the big numbers, frankly. Yep, mm. fair enough. Uh, we'll jump into so we've we've got the Victoria uh, chart up. Did you want me to move over to the yeah. map? So we'll just say, you know, Barrelat, Barrelat, Ballarat, Ballarat, point place like that. But look at the map; that really tells you the story. So you can see there the outer suburban areas uh, beyond Dandelong Way, um, north, and then up towards Ballarat, and uh, you know, so so again, patchwork, but quite an interesting patchwork. Yeah, and, and having said that, is uh, yeah, Sydney was I thought was a bit more. Um, yeah, inner east and and the um, sorry, the east and the inner suburbs were were mainly you know a little bit stressed, but not that stressed. And mm. then and then it really seemed to be the outer suburbs. Whereas Melbourne, you sort of got this ring around the outside, but then you've got a, a fair uh, a fair amount of red right in that middle section as well. So yeah, a lot of that inner city stuff. So Correct. A lot of not, up up north up towards Mooney Valley and places like Moreland. Um, yeah. So yep. Melbourne is the most complex. From a stress perspective, you've got more households. You've got property prices were actually doing things later. The mortgages were actually more freely available than in some areas of Sydney. Um, I think Victoria is where we're going to see the um, crisis hit first. Hmm. There we go. Okay, I'll jump across to Tasmania. Yeah, and just include the small states because it's really important. People have the worst complaint. We never talk about Tasmania. <laughs> well, so. well, yeah. Do, we, do you want to? So just know we have been we're forty minutes in so far. Not and sorry to any Tasmanians, but they're on the slides. The slides are there. Unless there's yep. any particular points, we might do you mind if the we, we jump through to like? the yeah. uh, jump through to yeah. the rental stress by state. Let's just quickly right? touch on rental stress on slide twenty six. So we yep. also look at rental stress. One point seven five million households out of the three and a half million renting. Are actually in difficulty again similar profile so tasmania has the highest proportion same scenario same in, 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 impacts and if you look at the next slide you can also see a somewhat similar view in terms of this young growing families and then it's the disadvantaged fringe um but you also see some more exclusive professionals and uh, wealthy people as well so rental stress is really important because that's a clue to what's happening to the investment sector right and 
And what we're seeing is that the rental sector is really straining um, with lack of income and now with no real chance of capital growth in the next couple of years. Many people are thinking Sorry, they're going to get out. Can we just define this again? So rental stress, this is people who are renting who are in stress because they can't afford to pay the rent. Cash, it's cash flow based cash again, flow based, going back yeah. to what I said. Cash flow, yeah, yeah. money in, money out. Yep. So rather than paying a mortgage, they're paying a rent. But, but yep. yeah, it's a rental stress. It's not the rental stress of the uh, of the owner. It's the rental stress. No, no, no. no. Of, it's, of, the, of, it's, of the it's the household. Yeah. It's the household. And so, which is interesting because you, you, I guess we, we're hearing anecdotally a lot of stories about um, people having their rents cut. And, but, but I guess my sort of, I was figuring, well, most people are on leases or, or they're just paying week to week and, and it's not a, you know, yes, if you're coming up for a review or if you're moving house, then, then there's a good chance to, to get a the lower rent, but your average citizen is less likely to, to turn up to their, their real estate and say, yes, I demand a 20%, you know, yeah. decrease right now. Some definitely got, got relief. So the stress number was higher a couple of months ago. So we were, um, right. um That's you know, when you about say a couple of months ago, so so in yeah. uh, March, is that so? When it started to go wrong, um, yep. people. Okay. That, so, so it was eased a little bit by the rental agreements that are in place, but not everybody got them. Yep. Um, some people then decided to move to cheaper um, to try and actually alleviate. Of course, rental people move around perhaps more than um, if you've got a property to, to, to sell first. Perhaps more um, than if you have to pay a, a year's worth of savings, year's salary in, in stamp duty to, just yeah, to move. Yeah, but, <laughs> but, but the other point is that a lot of people, of course, um, uh, can't get the money for a bond now. So th there's a lot of complexity in this. But I think it's important people understand the rental sector because it not only does it um, impact property investors, but it also is a very large proportion. You know, a third of Australians are renting. Hmm. Um, I'll just quickly, postcodes, Melbourne 3000, way off the scale in terms of the number of people in rental stress in the centre of Melbourne, right? It is, you know, more than 12,000. And interestingly, that's, of course, perhaps what you'd expect with all of the high rises that are there. The fact that the properties tend to be more expensive to rent. Um, so that that's... Well, I'm, one. I'm guessing you've got a lot of students in there as well who, um, a lot of overseas yep. students who, who can't work, who, you know, and, and they, they can't access any of this stuff and, and there's, you know, can't do the, you know, multiple of different jobs that, that might have gotten yep. through. Mm -hmm. And another example, uh, Bondi or Surrey Hills in Sydney, right? Um, yeah. Again, same sort of scenario, close in. Um, and then if you go to something like um, a Hoppers Crossing, you know, 3029 that's again out in the suburban area so you've got this contrast between the more inner city areas with uh, rental stress and people out in the urban fringe again so uh, it's pretty important to understand the uh, you know variations that are coming through mm. okay very good um and then i'll just summarize my last couple of slides so we run scenarios off the back of this this is based off the modeling um, and uh, the scenarios just give us a way of thinking about it. But on slide 41, I'll tell you where I'm thinking now. So I've got various, a few different scenarios. So the RBA baseline, I think if the RBA does a lot of the stuff that it says it's going to do and we get more government fiscal support, there is a route to home price growth over the next couple of years, maybe 10%. I give that a 10% rating. Right? Mm. The best case, I think, is a slide in prices between 5 and 15 on average. It varies, of course. Um, over the next couple of years, and I give that a 20% rating. There's a chance of it being a longer-term crunch, um, and I've reduced that to 40%, but I think it's still significant. And again, 30%, 15 to 30% fall in prices. Mm -hmm. There is a risk of a global disruption that we get another another band of stuff and we get uh, more global um, issues, um, bigger drops, and then there's you know the uncontrolled pandemic. It all comes back, and we get a wave two, wave three, wave four, which is a 10%. So what I'm saying to you now is that my sort of middle-of-the-road scenario is a fall, but not quite so an aggressive fall in prices than I thought a couple of months ago. Mm. And so that sort of falls back to a lot of, I guess, what what uh, we and a lot of other people have been saying is that the, the moves that have happened have taken away all that tail risk, but um, they're still genuine enough. There still are genuine economic problems out there that haven't been addressed, and 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 we and we don't think can be addressed under, under the current sort of scenario in terms of yeah over indebtedness, and then the question about that unemployment starting to flow through to to, to the um, yeah. The, the, it, it, it's a question of unemployment more than anything else, right? If the unemployment rate at the end of next year is seven percent, like the Reserve Bank thinks it's going to be, that's enough to create downward pressure on the housing sector. They will try and support it. They will do lots of different things to try and support the sector directly or indirectly. And the question is, will they be successful or will it effectively go um, and start to unravel? If it starts to unravel, the, 
the risk is that it just doesn't unravel a bit, but it unravels quite a lot. And remember that in the US, after the global financial crisis, it took three years for the true effect on the housing sector to come through. So the fall in prices was you know, sliding over three years, but it was really yep. three years later that everything went wrong. So long term. Um, yeah, that's right. So, so it's not. So it's really not going to be all over in two months, like the the stock markets sort of basically. <laughs> well, I was going to ask you why, why on earth is the stock market doing what it's doing? Bearing in mind yesterday's results, uh, you know, from the GDP and what I'm seeing from households, it just I can't connect the two. No, I don't. I, I don't think too many people can. I, I think from from my perspective, um, the stock market does go through stages where where it disconnects re with reality, and I, I think we're I think we're in one of those stages where. There's, there's a certain amount of it as I think is liquidity driven in terms of there's just so much money being pumped into the market by central banks uh, and a lot of it was front loaded um, that, that that ends up somewhere uh, that, that there's lots of people who can who can gear and who can who can um, uh, who run momentum type type models and the momentum you know things are get things they, they can come up with a story that things look better and so therefore stocks go up a little bit which means therefore momentum's good and so then I should buy a bit more and then I should gear up a little bit more and buy a bit more and 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 you can convince you I think some of these ones can convince themselves that, that everything's fixed and it's all through like we've been um, we've been talking about uh, it's it's almost as if in terms of the the way stocks have been reacting um, it's almost as if we, we've been through a three-year cycle in three months in terms of hmm. um, you know that we have this big fall there's a bit of, you get some government stimulus there's a bit of a rise in it um, the rotation of sectors is actually even especially over the last um, the last two weeks in particular until until the last two weeks you know from my perspective you know it was it, it had bounced irrationally but it sort of was the, the sectors that were um, relatively coronavirus proof were the ones that were that were bouncing, or the ones that had, uh, you could actually see some reasons why the the, the relative outperformance of, of some sectors over other sectors. But the last two weeks have just um, the the stocks it have come back to now all the ones that are most affected by coronavirus have actually live have actually um, you know, led the charge in this last sort of push higher and to be there the ones which still are suffering the, the biggest the biggest damage. And um, yeah, it's, it's very, look, we're trying to pick the spot for, we, I'll, I'll give you an example. Yes, yesterday we were going through um, a whole bunch of the, the uh, global sportswear manufacturers and just looking at those and saying, and you go through the, the different ones and you have someone like a, uh, yeah, a Nike or an, or an Adidas and, and so Adidas, you know, earnings are down 50%, Nike, they're down 30 something percent. Stock prices are uh, for, for, for Nike, are back above sort of where they were, or back to close, sorry, close to where they were. Um, then you then you start drifting through, and you look at someone like a, a Moncler, which is sort of like very high end ski gear, or Lululemon, which is sort of um, you know yoga pants for stylish people, and and their their prices are higher than what they were. Well, or, sorry, their their profits have hardly fallen, and and Lululemon, you know, prices are higher than what they were, and so it's this whole part about some of these premium brands are standing up a lot better. Um, and, um, but, but still, you know, even a Nike, you know, premium brand, stable earnings down 30 something percent and, and, and the price, share price, you know, is basically back to where it was in, in prior. So it's a question about saying, have you priced in a recovery in sort of two or three years time? Cause it, uh, that's what RBAs and, and central banks are talking about is, oh, maybe by the end of next year, we might get back to where we were last year. Um, so can markets sort of fake it for, for, Two years until earnings come back, maybe they can. Or, you know, it's, our expectation is that at some stage, you know, reality has to take hold. Uh, and, and if you're buying at today's prices, you basically you're already you're basically paying for success that hasn't happened. So if success happens, then then you, you pretty much don't go anywhere. But if if you don't get the success, then then there's this big downside to it that, um, that you can expect. So yeah, it's um I I don't I don't have a I don't have a good solution for it, and I, and I think there's a lot of people who don't. Um, but but I guess I draw the analogies as well back to you know we know there's times where markets sort of disconnect from reality and um, they can be disconnected for for some time. You know I think there's a lot of people sort of during the during the tech boom that's probably the most the most similar to to me. But um, we just saw that whole disconnect that people were saying well yes but this thing's going to be you know Excite or Lycos is going to be the greatest thing ever and so therefore I can afford to pay yeah you know, three hundred times earnings for it um, and uh, and a lot of people were just saying, well, I know this probably isn't right, but I'm just going to try and stay in front of the herd. If I can just keep running with the herd, I'll, you know, and then 
the more conservative investors like ourselves or, or others just say, well, I'm going to, you know, the, the danger of running with the herd is, is you get trampled when it turns. So I might just, uh, when, it, when, it's, when it's heading too far, we'll just step out of this market for a little bit and, uh, and, and wait for it to come back to, to more normal values and uh, just keep trying to mix and match the stocks and, and trying to keep finding the ones that are, I mean, there's always a relative game you can play, which is, which is there's some stocks will be overpriced and, and the stocks underpriced. But yeah, my, my biggest concern right now is um, is is not as much as the 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 height of the market. It's more that the the stocks that are performing are just the stocks that just make no sense at all in terms of um, they're still being damaged and 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 it doesn't look like they're turning around. And that, but the share prices are, are, are rocketing. So I reckon it's the faith in central banks to keep printing. Mm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Don't fight the Fed. There's a you know that's a it's a mantra out there, and and, and I guess it, it's an interesting question, isn't it? For and it, it comes back to the housing market as well. Is you know if there's faith in the um, if there's faith that the Australian government will roll out these um, you know more and more and more and more grants and and you know and and bonuses and all that type of stuff. So partly the that will hold up the market when they do roll out these. But the other part is if there's faith in that they will do it then then investors will say well i won't sell my property or, or i might go and buy another one in the in the expectation that you know i'll get in front of, of the next wave of grants and, and that'll hold prices higher so um yeah so it's about central banks will be pricing everything i mean they're already pricing the uh we're already pricing the bond market for us and uh <laughs> question is are they going to price the stock market for us as well um yeah, yeah. Cup, well, cup. Just, just, just remember japan Oh, absolutely! Now. Bank of Japan owns what forty percent of Japan. Yeah, and 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 just and they trade on some of the lowest PEs in the market. So so in terms of valuation wise, <laughs> Japan's one of the better ones, one of the better stock markets out there. So mm. uh, yeah, I have often have people say, oh yeah, as you said, when when bond rates are zero, then that means we can afford to pay way more for equities because yeah, you know, equities have got this um, a, a, the discount rate is much lower, and so you know, the relative value is much more. And, and there's some there's some argument in that if you do it in, in a certain direction. But um, yeah, Japan was trading on you know 60 times PEs pre the whole unraveling, and that's just been gone down and down and down. And they sort of trade in the, in the low sort of teens in terms of their their price to earnings. So um, yeah, I, I think that that argument about a low low interest rate mean that you can um, you can afford to pay much more. Only works if you if you actually do think there's real growth and there's not that sort of genuine deflation issue. But maybe Tim, you got a few questions? Yeah, we do. Just a quick one, actually. What's on the topic of central banks? Um, just looking back at the, your um, table here. So uh, RBA rate, to, you've got ten basis points as, as the majority of your probability there, sixty percent. Um, you want to colour in that? You, you think there's cuts to come? Well, I think they're gonna. Squeeze. I mean, I know they said they're not going to go into negative rates, but I think the um, uh, the wholesale rates will go negative. Um, uh, I, I can't see that they can avoid that uh, because if you look at what's happened in um, Japan or in the eurozone, um, it's just a natural consequence of low rates forever. The question is, what does it translate to in terms of cash rates? They've got a little bit of wriggle room. I suspect they'll do what they have to do. Um, I wouldn't be surprised to see um, not uh, necessarily retail rates negative, although even in Japan, Germany now, I think 100 banks in Germany are offering negative rates on deposits at the moment. So that's where we could end up if we're not careful. Yeah, and there was there was a there was some headlines on was it was it Denmark with had a negative oh, mortgage Denmark. rate yeah. or something something like yeah. that. But but I think when you uh, when you dug into it, it it wasn't quite as negative as once you once you once you clocked all the fees away, it wasn't quite as negative as as you might have thought. Yeah. yeah. No. Well, people need to understand the difference between the wholesale rates, in other words, between the central bank and uh, the banks, and that what they want to do is to make it painful for banks to get money held at the central bank. They prefer them to try and push it out and lend it. Right. Yep. That's why yes. they go slightly negative. Yeah. Um, retail mm. negative rates? Not sure. No. Yeah. Fair the, enough. The other, actually, on that same thing, then the unemployment you've got in there. I mean. Uh, it's tough, it's tough to try and gauge what's unemployment, what isn't unemployment. We've been trying to follow, I guess, underemployment as a bit of a better gauge for a few yep. years now, um, yep. just because of the, the the way unemployment's actually calculated. I guess in terms of those, uh, you know, the underemployment at, at those levels, what's what's what would the equivalent be? So, so I guess we're we're twenty percent now versus 
Yeah. So, um, you know, the unemployment, the way the ABS do it is nuts, right? We know that that's nowhere near the reality, right? Mm. We know that. And, and if you look at the people who, in my surveys, are wanting more work and not getting it, um, about 40% actually would, would say that at the moment. So, sorry, 4-0, did you say? 4-0, 40%. Right. Okay. Hmm. Okay. Um, I had another question. Oh, sorry, sorry. sorry yeah, yep. so, so on your scenarios, how, how high do we go on, the, on that then? And under, say... Yeah, because I guess in the end I look at this and go, oh well, it's hard to judge. You know, the difference between seven and seven and a half percent is, you know, yeah. not not much in in terms of. I mean, Correct. it's a lot in terms of people, but you're not much in terms of. Can we forecast it? But yeah. in terms of so, underemployment, so under underemployment, if you look at global disruption, we're up towards sixty percent, so more than half. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Okay, um, just uh, swinging back onto uh, the housing uh, market. Oh, actually, sorry, on banks. Um, so, what what is your view uh, of the impact in prices due to the end of the payment holidays in September? Uh, and do you think banks will treat own occupiers uh, different to investors? Let you go first on this, Martin. <laughs> uh, the answer is yes. They're definitely looking at uh, investors differently from own occupiers. Um, there are some banks who are over leveraged to the investment sector, and they're bending over backwards to try and not um, show that through as, as defaults. One of the reasons why interest only is suddenly now back on the agenda, you know, you can pay something, that's fine, we'll worry about the capital repayments later, despite what they was what they were saying in the Royal Commission two years ago, which is a bit, a bit weird. Um, yeah, I think that uh, it's going to come down to loan-to-value ratios. If property prices fall, the banks are going to be very twitchy. Remember that they have to hold more capital on high loan-to-value loans in their internal models. So if prices do start to fall, that's going to cost them a lot of capital. They're, they will want to try and keep prices up and want to report high prices. Uh, but um, if that turns, and it could turn with the um, removal of those supports, um, I'm expecting the number of people to have difficulty with their mortgages to be higher later in the year than now. But it does depend on how the, um, the government tapers and whether the banks will taper. And I suspect they'll have to taper over the next year. And the other thing you have seen in other countries as well is, um, you know, is the uh, regulatory authorities will just sometimes just suspend those rules and just say, okay, you know, you're meant to hold this much, but uh, let's just, you know, let's just create something and you can, you can park these and hold them on a, on a longer period of time or, or whatever it is in terms of the, um, yeah. In terms of My theory is they will have to create a bad bank and the, RBA will end up buying bad loans off the banks. Yes, mm. yes, yeah, I think there's in, in in some of the in some of the the worst yeah in some of the worst ones. I think that's um, I mean that's as you said that's that's the way most of the most of the really bad ones end up being sorted out. Is is, is yeah. you know the ECB have, have been talking about that in the last couple of weeks. So that that's something they're actively considering over there. Mm. Yep. Very good. Um, not sure if we've covered completely off on the investment outlook, but if you uh, if you've got anything else to add in, Damien, uh, and just while I before that, I'll, I'll just throw out to anyone for any final questions. Uh, www.nucleuswealth.com/forward/slash/webinar if you're uh, listening in live. But yeah, I'll, yeah, I'll do a quick uh, investment. I mean, I have already sort of followed through most of these, but you know, I concur certainly with um, with Martin. The number one issue is unemployment. And and for us, as as I sort of alluded to, trying to work out what's really happening because um, you know, as Martin spoke, the uh, the way unemployment is is officially calculated in Australia is is um, you know an hour's worth of work is uh, leaves you as as employed, and you need to be actively searching and a whole bunch of other factors. So trying to get a real feel for what those numbers actually are. So we we tend to track un underemployment, but but there are others. You know, you can look at hours worked and, and other factors. Um, so. That's that's our key. Um, we still see companies laying people off um, consistently, and that's that's I think the the part where, for me, you know, a lot of companies came into this going, yes, we can hold on to our employees, and and we can, and now there's a job keeper. Yep, we can we can send them for a bit longer. Uh, I think given the given the bounce back that we've seen in, uh, or given say in countries like uh, China that that are well in front of us. Is you know the bounce they've bounced back to sort of ninety percent, but that but they're still sort of ten percent below down below where they were before, and that generally means um, the unemployment needs to to, to to stay high, and so potentially um, you know so much stimulus and everything gets thrown at it and, and we and we bridge this gap, but that's that's where we think we'll see the um, we'll we'll see what's happening, uh, and, and within that then there's the small and medium medium businesses. Um, within that, so uh, on on the equities, um, you know, for us, it's all about trying to work out 
as I, as I spoke, you know, trying to work out, you know, is Nike's earnings, do we think they're more likely to bounce back to where they, they came from versus uh, a Moncler or a, a uh, an Adidas? You know, who's 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 more likely to see earnings bounce back and, and how fast? Um, we, we look a lot at sort of the longer term averages and, and, and views on those. Um, yeah, so we've had the, and, and companies are de-gearing. Um, there is this de-globalization push going on uh, constantly throughout, certainly through large companies, there is just more and more job cuts um, you know, globally going on. And, and Australia is a, a small country that's, that's reliant on world growth. And um, it's very hard for us to see, you know, anywhere where, where we can see this world growth. So um, yeah, we're sort of very much sitting out this in, in wonderment, I guess, at, at, at markets and, and, and what's moving. Um, I think we're, we're certainly more than happy to miss out on, on the upside if, if the market wants to, if it's going to be central bank driven rally to uh, into all-time highs with, with uh, crashing econo- economies. But um, our, our, our take is that, you know, we, we would prefer to, to keep our money, uh, our money safe because we don't, we don't think we're, we're missing out on too much upside by, by staying largely out of the market at this point. Uh, but we do think there's a, a considerable downside if any one of a number of events start to come through. And, uh, you know, most of the Australian economy was sort of put into like a, a, basically a six-month hibernation, as they called it. And um, we're closing, starting to close, get closer to, to the end of that. And um, there's certainly a lot of the, um, some parts of the economy that are, that are starting to open up, uh, you know, really aren't looking... Um, aren't uh, looking that strong. We, and we think that unemployment is going to take a long time to come back. Go on, Damien. Yep, any, any other questions? Let's Look, there's a couple more in here. Um, I might just run through them. Uh, I'll try and aggregate a couple together. So um, we've got one here. I, I believe it's from uh, from Cam Murray. I better read out just because I want to get him back on the show soon. Um, the uh, So does mortgage stress actually correlate with price growth is the question. 2012 to 2017 was a boom period and yet mortgage stress was rising. I think... Um, Directed to you, perhaps, uh, Martin, if you'd like to offer yes. that one. I think in a similar vein, why do we think mortgage rising mortgage stress is related to falling housing prices? To my eyeballs, it looks like the opposite is true. Yeah, so mortgage stress is a forward indicator, right, of, of what might be trouble ahead. But remember that we've had um, lower rates, lower interest rates, and lower, more, more low interest rates, and weaker lending standards, which have counted against it. But the fact is that people can go on in difficulty for a length of time, probably two, three, four years. But eventually, if something doesn't give, then that's when it goes wrong. The difference this time is with interest rates where they are and with unemployment rising rather than falling, um, the question is, will there be enough to get out of jail cards or will we actually start seeing it impacting prices? Already, I'm seeing it impacting some prices in some of these locations. My view is that it's now a better proxy than it was simply because we've run out of runway with regard to lower rates. And I guess the other the other thing on that side would be be interesting to say, you know, you can have well I don't, I don't know and I'm, I'm making this assumption. So Cameron, I'm, I haven't got the stats behind me, but I'm making the assumption that uh, if you have rising mortgage stress in a time of uh, where wage growth is is still ticking along all right, then then you can hold everything pretty pretty steady. Whereas um, yeah, when you've got mortgage, high mortgage stress and then you get you run into wages issues, that's where it starts to to come unwrap. Mm. Be my expectation. Yeah. Yeah, and look at you've got to look at households in the round, right? What else are they facing as well? Um, you know, no income growth, cost of living rising, uh, lack of hours, you know, put all of that in together. When you start seeing people having to sell, that's when prices fall. And I'm already seeing some in early indicators of intention to sell in some of these locations. So I think that we are probably at a bit of a tipping point, which is one of the reasons why I'm relatively negatively negatively uh, orientated on house price growth from this point. And, and sorry, actually, I should, I should make an important point there. Cameron was on the show uh, three or four weeks ago. Um, so check him out on, the, on YouTube. He came out with the bull view on, on, on Australian housing. So if you do want to hear a... Uh, he's, he's got probably the most... Um, intelligently expressed bull view. I don't agree with it, but I, but I think he's certainly got one of the most intelligently expressed bull views that, that there are out there on, in terms of Australian houses. So um, uh, yeah, encourage anyone who's listening in or to this one who hasn't listened to that to uh, yeah to find that on the on our YouTube channel or or on our Spotify or wherever you're listening to it. Um, yep, absolutely. Just while we're on the housing bull case, just one more dropped in. Um, uh, hi Martin, can you see any way prices could go up in the next ten to twenty percent in the next year? As uh, another friend of the show, Chris Joy suggests, um, perhaps play devil's advocate. Is there sort of, is there any, is it could there be any any point of difference or any hole in in you know what we've spoken about today? He's got it on his chart there. You've got it there. Yeah. So so the answer is there is there is an upside story. If you believe Peter Tulip at the RBA that credit is 
unimportant. The amount of debt in the system is unimportant. And it's clear just a correlation between interest rates and house prices, which is what his model is basically saying. Then you could say interest rates have never been so low. Therefore, prices should be a lot higher. So that that's the that's the neutral view. If everything else is equal, except that everything else isn't equal because of unemployment rising, because of the fact that we've got all this compression in the system, we've got small businesses under pressure. So the question is, in the context of an economic downturn, is that still going to hold true? And I've got a 10% weighting on prices rising over the next couple of years for that very reason. You've got to take that. That is, that is a feasible one. And, of course, that allows for government action and more unnatural acts and, you know, throwing more stimulus packages and first-time buyer grants out there to keep – they want to keep prices at least high until the next election. So they will mm. do everything they can. So there has to be, in your portfolio of options, that as one of the options. I give it a 10% weighting. Uh, a couple of months ago, it was zero. So there's a chance. It's not my base case, though. Mm. And 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 I, th- and I think that's where um, you know I, my in my view that's your most likely scenario is the 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 government just keeps throwing if you want to most likely bull scenario is the government just keeps throwing more at it and just keeps throwing and keeps throwing and keeps throwing and we have a very low government debt and so and they've they've got a spare sixty billion they just found yeah, I was going to say they're in tucked, stimulus mode now <laughs> which tucked under the yeah that's right so um, you know there's. Who, who wants some? Yep. Yeah, yeah, no, nice. Nobody wants to be um, going to an election with house prices falling. Well, especially not as, as he sort of explicitly said, I think whatever this was one of his promises, wasn't it? The house right. prices will yeah. always be higher under a Liberal government. Yep, exactly. So, mm. yeah. Very good. I think um, we're just uh, having a bit of a run through the questions. I think we might be pretty close to done and, and also mindful of your time. I'm sure we've got uh, other other appointments to get to. I'll have to speak to the ABC this afternoon. Is that which which... So, yeah, we've warmed you up nicely, so that's great. Yeah, yeah I think it's News, news 24 through 15. Oh, well, there you go. Okay, well, look, uh, mindful of that, look, uh, thanks very much for your time today. A, a fantastic run-through um, and just some really, you know, really up-to-date figures, which is wonderful, and I think everyone's appreciated that. Um, would you like to just share for, for those who uh, aren't familiar with your work, Martin, uh, where they can get in touch with you and follow uh, some of the things you're doing? And I think you've got yeah, a live show coming as well, have you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, we, we do we do live shows. Um, in fact, I did one on Tuesday on Mortgage Stress, if you want more detail. Um, so the digitalfinanceanalytics.com is the, um, the website, and there's a blog there with all of my stuff. Also, uh, there's a YouTube channel called Walk the World, where we do a lot of shows on all of these sorts of things. Um, and by the way, if people are interested in data at an individual postcode level, if they want to message me on the DFA blog, I'm happy to share individual pieces of data um, because I, I think it's important people that, you know, can get granular. So there's an offer there if people are interested. So have a look at that. Uh, we will be updating this every month. We update our scenarios and we run a live show every month where we uh, go through the numbers and we actually have our online database available so we can go and dive into postcodes. Wonderful. All right. Well, look, yeah, thanks again for your time. We look forward to getting you back on the show very shortly. Interesting times. I'll be happy to come back again. Lovely. Let's look forward to it. Thanks. Thanks, Cheers. Cheers. Okay. So uh, on that note, uh, we hope you've enjoyed today's episode. And if you'd like to see more of our content, uh, such as articles and performance and reports, head over to nucleuswealth.com forward slash content. Uh, to stay up to date with news for us, follow us on social media and to find us, simply search Nucleus Wealth on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or LinkedIn. Uh, we always appreciate guest or topic uh, suggestions such as today. So if you'd like, uh, sorry, if you've got one, feel free to drop them in the comments of today's YouTube video and we'll be checking back uh, periodically. And finally, if you uh, prefer to listen to these episodes, of course, the show can be found in podcast form in all major and minor podcast platforms. So I really hope you've enjoyed today. I had some terrific questions. So thanks to everybody for tuning in uh, and providing some commentary, uh, feedback, and also, uh, of course, your questions along the way. And uh, we look forward to joining you for the next one. Cheers.